welcome back to Real Talk for an Unreal World. The conversation surrounding Matt Schmidt today is an interesting one with addiction because he is an individual who made a career out of what he had done using drugs, methamphetamines. And it's important to have conversations like this to break down the stereotypical idea of what a drug addict is and show people that there's two sides to everything. Now, Matt's capability within a chemistry field and manufacturing drugs is one close to that of Walter White, but where we see an interesting transition is how he turned his darkness into the light, and he did not succumb to the very thing that was pushing him forward. Drugs in his life was a catalyst to help him cope with everyday life, but it allowed him to create a relationship with his mind that had him see life from a different angle and create all these interesting ideas. He has since gone on to become a quantum healer and turn his entire life into an example of how to be able to navigate people's traumas within themselves using techniques found by Dolores Cannon. So it's really cool to have this gentleman on my podcast today. He is a friend of mine and a wonderful human being. And in the end of the podcast, I speak about my own personal experience having a quantum healing session with Matt to kind of share about how these things can alleviate you from your trauma in your life because there's so many other ways that we can tap into our soul and tap into the parts of us that hold us back that we may not know how because of a lack of tools and education. That's what this podcast offers you is new tools, new education. So I hope you enjoy the show as much as I did having the conversation. Thanks for being here. Uh, welcome back to Real Talk for an Unreal World. Today is a very, very cool day. We've got a, a wonderful guest, my buddy, Matt Schmidt, who I have never physically met, but we have yeah. spiritually trauma bonded over the same common things that held us back. And they brought us together because we both went through the darkness to find the light. Matt's a really cool guy. He has a really, really interesting story just about how trauma became an asset to to move him forward, but how he transmuted everything that happened to him in his life to be a healer today through quantum healing is, is just beautiful. It's, it's really incredible. And I was able to do a, a quantum healing session with Matt. My wife did one as well. And, you know, that was the beginning of what changed my life, seeing what can actually happen outside of conventional methods of wellness or healing because it's so authentic. It's so real. It's so personal, you know, like Matt's not really doing anything other than guiding you into yourself so that you heal yourself. And that's when that happens, like on that level, you get to appreciate it. And I think it's important to talk about that because we'll get into the quantum healing later. But first, I want to I want to hear a little bit about the journey that brought you to the quantum healing. So welcome to the podcast, Matt. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Uh, thanks, Justin, for having me on. I love the journey and been through some bumps, <laughs> like just as you have, but also, you know, on the other side of it, wouldn't change any of it. Probably do it all over the exact same way again, because it's all important in, in getting me here. And I know for a fact, I would not be able to do my job as well as I do without having that perspective. So probably won't change any of it. It's the authenticity though. I think it's like lived experience, right? Like 
you're able to do what you do and put yourself in a position to be involved or guide people to their traumatic experiences and alleviate them from it because you walk through your own hell. Yeah. It's, it's a power, right? Like you're, you, these, these kind of things are just not institutionally learned through academics. Like you, you get these degrees in life, like hard knocks life, like real experience, mm -hmm. real world experiences. Like that's what we come here to do is learn in this manner. And when someone's able to be in a position like you, it's because you lived it. Yeah. Very cool. So talk about the childhood a little bit, like get me on the journey. Where did Matt start to separate from the love? Who? Um, probably in the womb. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, uh, I think, I think a big thing started there. Um, not intentionally, but it was like, I think it was part of the plan and I kind of have healed around this, but finding out that like my mom had lost the first one before me and she, it was really hard on her. So she didn't want to get too attached to the one coming in me. <laughs> so I came in feeling like I had to prove myself. And then, so it started this whole, like, I don't know, pattern of perfectionism and not like feeling like I wasn't good enough, even as a little kid. And my, my parents are very loving, very supportive, but like, I always felt that way. And that kickstarted a lot of the journey that we'll talk about later, but I wasn't even aware of that until fairly recently. <laughs> and, you know, my scientific mind was like, well, cognitive memory isn't formed before three or four. So you know, what could possibly be back there? <laughs> and it wasn't until I actually did one of my own meditations that I made for other people. <laughs> and then I'm like, holy crap, that's like my whole life. <laughs> like, my mom would tell me stories like um, one that I remember was that I came home crying in kindergarten because I wasn't in the 99th percentile on one of my standardized test scores and my academic career was over. <laughs> like, in kindergarten, he's a five-year-old. Like, what do you do with a kid like that? And my mom's like, my mom's like, go as long as you tried your best. I'm like, it's not good enough. <laughs> like, what? Wow. I so, think it's important to talk about this, just to note, like, real quick, Matt's trauma began when he was in the womb. So for many people that feel like they had a wonderful upbringing and they, they just feel this disconnect from love, this stuff happens when you were a baby inside of your mother. There might have been a traumatic experience that happened, you know, outside of the family or outside of her personal life that she carried and stored those emotions inside of you. And that transmutes into you. So you carry that stuff. And Matt is really good at unlocking and guiding humans back to that point. So I just wanted to throw that out there. So you uh, did not become top of the class in kindergarten <laughs> i was it just wasn't, oh, you it wasn't were. the best in the country you know it was oh, like there was, was like there's you know it's like oh already flawed uh, oh. but yeah just to add to your to your, what you said about being in the womb like it's amazing how much stuff is there because you you think about it, that's your first impression of the world right and you know like maybe mommy maybe all mommy wanted was a back rub and now she's pregnant with you you're gonna be feeling that you know right right <laughs> you're gonna feel right. not wanted not loved or maybe right. she's forced to like marry your father because she got pregnant with you you're gonna right. be feeling that resentment that anger all of it because you're a sponge at that point and like you're soaking it all up so that's that a lot of stuff starts at that point more than i ever thought a big thing like you said is like you didn't figure that out until later in life. So many people that are, are navigating this without this understanding, like, yeah, I mean, parents don't usually talk about those things because we're not taught how to talk about how we feel. I didn't think, I didn't think of that would affect a baby even like you're just, right. you're just like this, you know, little meat suit. Like you wouldn't think that would impact someone at that level. Like, oh, you probably didn't even remember that. Because who remembers being born? So it's like <laughs> right. cellular sponge, though, right? Like yeah. DNA, everything is stored inside, and and that's like a really wonderful awareness to have about energies and 
you know, yeah. what the real makeup of a human is, is, is just energies and how we're able to transmute that and bring it in and release it out. But if we don't release it, well, you carry it in, in interesting ways. So that's, that's really cool, man, that uh, you were able to navigate to that place. Yeah. And then, and everything else is pretty decent around that. I mean, mom had some issues, you know, just from her childhood and stuff like that, but it was confusing as a kid. Cause you wouldn't know where stuff would come from. It'd be like, how do we get here? All I did was this and it would just blow up. And <laughs> it was very yeah. confusing as a child growing up, but it was like, as an adult, I understand it. But like at the time you didn't know what, what version of mom I was going to get. And that was kind of, that was kind of hard. But, um, I think, uh, that I, that whole like perfectionism thing carried through. And it was, I think that's what pushed me to not really try drugs. I just I want to try experiences, you know, like I always want to try new things. I'll try anything once, but like the first time I tried meth, the first drug I did. <laughs> first drug you did with meth? Yeah. That was a heck of a gateway drug. <laughs> but... No doubt. Can you talk about, can you talk about, um, because I've never met anybody whose first drug was meth. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how, how meth makes you feel? Just the reason I want to talk about that is because there are people that listen to this just because my journey was based and centralized around drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And this can give some context into somebody who's got a child that's going through meth. So um, for me, I was like, uh, like the first time I did it, it was the most amazing thing in the world. I'm like, finally, I can be the version of me I always wanted to be. I felt like I could be the best version of myself doing that. <laughs> and like, I, I can do things that I never could before. Like, oh my gosh, I have all this like clarity in my mind and all this energy and all that. Like it was, it was what I've been striving for. And all of a sudden I had it. And then when you've been like wanting that for, for so long and all of a sudden yeah. it was there, it's like, <laughs> like I was, I was set. Yeah. And it was sneaky because like in the United States, we had desoxin, which is like just a prescription methamphetamine hydrochloride that you could get from the doctor back in the day. Okay. <laughs> and so it was like, it was like kind of sneaky. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go like shoot meth. <laughs> like it was, you know, it was like, oh, here's the pill. You know, I'm, I, can, I can, I take Flintstone vitamins. I can, I can take this, but like, oh my gosh, it was such a profound experience. And I was like, I'm, I'm set. Like, this is the best thing in the world. Yeah, yeah, interesting. You, you had something that you were seeking. And that's the funny thing surrounding the stereotypical idea of drugs. Like it's, yes, it's detrimental to your growth. Absolutely. But the reason people seek these kind of things and they fall, I don't want to say victim to it, but they fall in love with a love-hate relationship, let's mm -hmm. say that's developed over time. But in the beginning, it's love because you're like, yes, mm -hmm. the escape, the thing that I needed. It wasn't even an escape. I loved me. <laughs> I loved the oh, person of me that I became. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was like, I was like, this is this is fantastic. So like you two people uh, tell people and they're like, oh, you're running away, you're trying to escape something. I'm like, no, I found something. I found a piece of me. Um, oh, ironically wow. enough, I found that piece again, you know, through other means, but it, it was some like inner work that, to find that piece. But like here I had it in a second. <laughs> like yes. I didn't have the tools or the capacity yet. I, that young age yeah. to like to discover that and and also here it was right in my lap <laughs> it's like, or the ability to communicate about it it's like you've got this thing that you're seeking but you can't talk about it and there's no tools surrounding the education to obtain it so that's current society that's what we have that's what and when you have like an add brain or like for me it was like everything became crystal clear <laughs> it's like and like all the sl thoughts slowed down they like formed in order and like it was just like i could process it and it was just it was amazing like the things that i struggled with before were all of a sudden like 
everything was gone. And I'm like, this is magic. <laughs> How do, I mean, meth affects the body. Um, it affects sure. the mind. Sure. It affects, uh, you know, your well-being. I, I kind of, I was very like, I was very set on not letting it interfere. I'm like, once this gets in the way of something, um, like I was very set on having it not interfere with stuff. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, once it starts to interfere, it's too much. So, but somewhere along the line that gets skewed, but I mean, I had a long run, you know, where it's, um wasn't right away and then i justified it i'm like oh i was valedictorian oh i completed this oh i got 20 scholarships to go to school oh i like finished five degrees and like and i kept justifying it and it, it became just a part of my life you know that's that's interesting because i want to just sit on that that's that's what a high functioning addict is yeah um, matt was completely addicted to the drug but a mm -hmm. high functioning addict is somebody who's able to navigate life and achieve things in life that is acceptable by society. So therefore, it's probably the most detrimental way to be addicted mm -hmm. because you're still succeeding at society's little game, small milestones or, or large ones in your case, for sure. But you're able to move forward in life with the drug. So the drug doesn't have to leave because it's become acceptable. Same thing happened in my life with heroin and fentanyl. I was able to have a company. I was able to go to work. I was able to do all these things and perform how society needed me to perform and execute what I needed to do was bring home the money. But anything that goes up does come down. And that happened in both cases. So I think it's important to say that as well. Isn't that funny how we justify it then? You're like, yeah. oh, yeah, this isn't bad because it got me this, this, this. I would not be where I am without this. Yeah. And it allowed me to do some amazing things. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, <laughs> No, that's great. I, I think it's important to talk about these yeah. aspects of drug addiction because the stereotypical idea of a drug addiction is what we see on the streets and what we see in yeah. the news. But most people don't understand and hear these side of things like that we are high functioning and that they can and do take us to uh, places in our life. Yeah, it's it's I don't know, pretty amazing because all these experiences came from from these things and were you know, added to by this. Talk about your academic career. Like, I mean, there was a lot of things that you just listed off there that I, I'm sure a lot of people were like, what did he just say? Like how many scholarships? Like, where did he go? Yeah, I did a bunch of, or got interested in like biology and stuff like that. And then that kind of like led me along some of these paths where I don't know, everything kind of built on itself. So that turned into like chemistry and more interested in like, I don't know, a bunch of different things, you know? And um yeah i got ended up with like four undergrad degrees by the time i was done and those like combined experiences then all kind of pushed me to do like medicinal and natural products chemistry where i was developing drugs so i worked in a drug lab where we worked with um hallucinogens dissociatives and painkillers <laughs> and so i had a dea license to handle all legal drugs pretty much and it was probably a perfect storm, like being in that environment. <laughs> Ironically enough, I wasn't like doing anything bad at that time. I had been like, I had been like making stuff before that on the side and just had little side projects. But when I stopped, when I went to like into that program, I kind of quit everything because I mean, you didn't have time to do anything. Right. And I was, I was doing what I enjoyed doing anyway. Like, wait, you're paying me to come up with new drugs, you know? And you talked about like fentanyl and stuff. We were working with some of the fentanyl analogs. Some of those are like 40,000 times stronger than morphine. Like that just like blows blows my mind. Yeah. So we were actually looking up for coming up with opioids that didn't have like tolerance or dependence issues. So we we're actually working on like um, drug addiction and stuff like that. So, and kind of this like opioid epidemic before it was even a real major thing at that time. Treatments for chronic pain and treatments for, because there was no real solutions. So 
we were developing drugs for that reason, came up with some pretty amazing things that didn't actually create any tolerance, any dependence, and um, kind of started a whole new classification of drugs that they're kind of now looking at for. Yeah, I was going to say, there are they on the market? Uh, I don't know where things are at. When I, I mean, there's like a, a, a lag time from when you make something to like the time it actually becomes a drug. It's about at least 10 years because they have to like test all the different parts of it. But um, in like the rat testing and stuff, like they, they want to experience pain and like wow. morphine and stuff would like level off and you'd have to like keep upping the dose to get the same effect. And this was like a flat line of, of pain blocking. So, wow. and then there's no like dependence issues. So we test like to see if, um, like rats would choose that over food and they weren't like hooked on it. So no, pretty cool. That is pretty so there cool. There was a lot of potential. Um, the problem was uh, they made the compound that we were working with or the drugs that we were working with, they made them like our schedule one. So immediately there, that means that there can't be research done. They can't, they're, they're all illegal. They can't be used for any like medical purposes. And basically just like <laughs> prevented the research from happening, you know? and for no good reason for no good reason other than it probably works uh no they they did it because of the reason they made it legal was some like soccer mom complained about some case that happened in a different state and they found this in his room he committed suicide it wasn't in his system but they're like oh it's because he was taking this that he killed himself and that thing outweighed all the research that we did i'm like really (laughs) like Like, i was like how did that happen (laughs) Yeah, like it. I don't know if you see it was a pretty heavy coincidence. If you ask me if you want to get rid of something that could have so much potential in this world to be non addictive. I mean, look at what fentanyl has done for drug companies. It's out of control. I mean, they've replaced heroin with fentanyl and heroin was an organic. So I mean, it had to come from the ground. And to be honest with you, who's somebody who was a heroin addict and a fentanyl addict for an excessive amount of time fentanyl prescription drugs are far worse in their withdrawal within the chemistry within the body with the way they make you feel with the lasting Mm. effects with the euphoria with all of it it's fentanyl is the absolute worst thing on the planet when it comes to an opiate a heroin was something you could function on you know you were you were able to still to be human to a degree you know what i'm saying like the body doesn't process synthetics the same way and it reacts to them very very differently there's a huge comparison to be done there. I think at that time, it was just like fear over anything. Like they wouldn't even look at stuff because they're like, oh, this thing's going to ruin our, our our community. And it was just by state at that time. It wasn't a national. So like, I, I do get that side of it. But I think at this time, it was like, there were just there was just so much fear on it just because people didn't take the time to understand. And that's really what it was in this case. It wasn't like it wasn't like, oh, big pharma was stepping in at this point. Um, right. maybe down the road, but this is so at where the stage I was at in the like discovery of this, no one knew about it. It wasn't on anyone's radar. It wasn't like you know, it just became this thing and they're like, Oh, we're scared of this thing, and they just made it all legal rather than look at anything. But, it, but I mean to think about like creating an opiate that doesn't have a dependency, like that's not, you know, some magical idea. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's a pretty normal thing to be creating 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, that's, that's not really out of reach for what needs to be done for everyday society, but these mm-hmm. drugs, Oxycontin, dilated, morphine, I mean, this is what we've got and they're, they're working real well to have people come back on a weekly basis. So interesting yeah. to me, but yeah, you're right. Like big pharma didn't step in at this point, but yeah. they would have been. 
they would have uh, been right there so okay cool so you were developing freaking drugs getting paid for it yeah cancer research yep. drugs or whatever we want to call it that's well, okay well this is this is just treating pain it's interesting because they were actually hallucinogenic before we like played around with them and could modulate some of the opioid effects and so we had the first class of like hallucinogenic opioids that <laughs> never existed so like <laughs> i don't know no one really knew what they all did so we were looking at a plant called salvia divinorum which is actually um it's a plant that grows in mexico and yeah it was used like it was used for the hallucinogenic effects in mexico and then when we te when it was tested it actually bound to opioid receptors so by tweaking that that molecule and, and extracting different compounds from the plant we're able to get more of the painkilling properties out of it so and then you could you could tailor different parts of it depending on what groups you left attached to the molecule and stuff like that so pretty cool work dude that's incredible like just to think about humans that are doing that like i mean that's what it, what a what an impactful thing to do for society is to be a part of those kind of things talk to me about a research budget where does this come from um so research budgets kind of wherever you could get money um national institute of health um we were also it was also funded by national institute on drug abuse because of its potential for being a treatment so if you had someone on this they could potentially be treated for you know instead of like uh, methadone or something like that you could give them this and they wouldn't have uh, some of the same side effects and stuff that you'd have with other opioids testing theory but yeah so we were able to get funding based on that and just to talk about methadone for a second what methadone is it is uh, an opioid blocker basically it's a synthetic form of heroin that you take a liquid form that's a pharmaceutical and you take it every day i was on it for 11 12 years if you don't abuse heroin or fentanyl and methadone you have a pretty good chance of coming off of your um, opiate addiction. But that's interesting that that had opiate blockers in it as well. And it was from the plant because methadone was one of the worst things for me to come off of. That, that it stayed in my body. It stayed with me for like six months after I got off of it. So to hear about a plant that does the same thing mm -hmm. and then doesn't come to market you know, these organics, this, everything that we need is found in nature. But if we don't have conversations like we are today with Matt, where are these conversations coming from? It's, it, it's breaks my heart, really, to be honest with you. And without doing like some of the inner work around stuff, you don't get to the why you feel that way in the first place. You can get rid of all the drugs you can get rid of everything. But that pull, <laughs> the reason that drew you to it, whatever that was, like I talked about this magnetic attraction for, you know, the, the methamphetamine back then, you, you know, for you, the, the fentanyl, the heroin, like there's still that pull. There's a reason you were drawn to that. If you don't address that, it's like being like a dry drunk, you know, like you still have like, yeah, you know, so that's why, like, that's why this combination of things is like super powerful because you can actually heal from the inside out rather than just taking away the drug. But I think it's important the work you were doing there, especially because I understand physical withdrawal. Oh, yeah. Like, dude, physical withdrawal, man. Like, I did things in this life that I would never do. Uh, armed robbery. Like, you know, I, I never hurt anybody, but like that happened in my life. I went to jail for that because I, the withdrawal with fentanyl was just something I was at a point and I just couldn't take it. You know, I, I my mind was telling myself that there's you're going to do anything right now to get the money. So I did what I had to do to get the money. I, I got arrested. I got caught. I paid my time. I, I, I did all that. 
But then when you hear things like what you're talking about, especially with opiate addiction, you need those opiate receptor blockers Mm -hmm. because it allows you to get in tune with the trauma that has you attached to the drug. So it's really, really important. And stuff like Suboxone and Methadone, which are opiate blockers that are currently mass distributed by the College of Pharmacies um, as, as the synthetic for heroin for heroin users or fentanyl users they're just not up to par they don't work Mm -hmm. as well as say a plant could you know um i've experienced both of them and they're very detrimental to your human body and 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 your mentality right Mm -hmm. so yeah you're absolutely right though you need to find clarity within your addiction to be able to go to the root of the problem because i'm I'm happy you said that because we'll talk a little bit about this Mm -hmm a lot of people have asked me like how I did it. Like, how am I not in recovery? How am I, you know, not using withdrawal management, uh, pharmaceuticals or anything like that. It's like, just like Matt said, I went to the root of the problem. I found the reason that had me attach to using drugs and I processed it. And I processed that with love. I processed that with forgiveness, with understanding, with, uh, self-love and self-care. And those are not bath bombs and getting your hair done. It's going into the deepest, darkest places you have inside of you and being cool with the parts of you that were hurt and and alleviating yourself from that hurt because it's there to teach you something. So that is everything. Addiction is just a label and it's just a distraction from processing how you feel. Right. Uh, yeah, I felt kind of that way. And when I went to like some of these meetings and stuff, there's like guys like, oh, I haven't I haven't drank in 40 years, but my name is blah, blah, and I'm an addict and blah. And I'm like, no, you're not like, really? Like, you're still saying that? Like, why are you telling yourself that you're reinforcing? I am this. I am this. Yeah. It's like, dude, yeah. why? Like, I know if I did something 40 years ago, I wouldn't still consider myself anything. Like, <laughs> It's true. And it's uh-huh. it's true it's not it's non-judgmental but like i mean if, if you understand psychology when you put yourself in groups around individuals who limit themselves there's really not much going on outside of it and this is just personal this is a personal opinion because i know there's a lot of value in aa i know there's a lot of value in na and i'm not taking away from it but when people ask you why you're not in a recovery group only three and a half years after being out of a 23 year addiction or same with Matt in his situation, it's because you see more than that. You are not the addictive label that you come with the stereotypical idea of what society is labeling you as, or for me, a convict, like I'm not a convict and I, you know, I'm not a ex homeless person. I'm not any of these things. I'm a human being Mm -hmm. who navigated his journey and his experience with a little difficulty because the lessons were difficult so I chose tools that would teach me, you know, difficult lessons and, and some were beautiful because they brought me to the light. And, and that's just, it is what it is, right? So now who am I? You know, now I'm going to evolve into the person that I want to become because, you know, I understand that all that stuff happened for me, like you said. And, and yeah, I think that that's important to talk about. Wild. Wild that we just talked about that. I'm like, shit. I know. Hey, it goes where it goes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, with the one thing that kind of popped up when we were talking about being like functional uh, druggies is like when I when I actually stopped using drugs, I had people pull me aside, like close friends, and they were like, they pulled me aside because they were worried about me because they thought I was on drugs. <laughs> and I'm like, aw. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's sad. <laughs> like, they didn't know the version of me without drugs. Like, they didn't know who that was. <laughs> and they're like, wow. They're like, oh, we've just been concerned. We've been talking. Are you okay? <laughs> and I'm like, I, 
I actually quit. <laughs> and like, I'm like, oh, that's bad. <laughs> so you weren't on drugs. They drugs. thought I was because it was such a dramatic shift. They thought something was wrong with me. <laughs> wow. And that's that's I'm like, <laughs> that's wild. You know, the unique journeys of uh, addiction, you know, or like where it takes us. With me, it was very, very visual. You could tell when Justin was not on drugs and when Justin was on drugs. It was very obvious. But it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, some people, they, they are just an everyday part of society and they put the mask on and even the closest people to them don't know. So that's, that's very, very common. Hard to keep track then. Cause it's not, well, for me, it wasn't so much like the double lives and the triple lives when you start getting the quadruple lives and then like, and then you don't even know who you are anymore. Cause yeah. it'd be this for this and like this for this. And then you got this other life over here that these people can't know about. And it's like, you get really almost dissociate from parts of yourself. And yeah. even though it's all you and you're aware of all of them, it's it's weird how they like you have almost like these splits in personality that you just have to do in order to stay afloat. You know, like it's yeah. survival at that point. For me, it was all a lie. Like everything I was doing was a lie because I was lying to myself. So even though I had like 15 different personalities, I'd screw them up all the time because <laughs> I was just lying in absolutely everything I was doing. And I just it, it just all meshes at some point where yeah that's that's just what you become i became the lie pretty much so mm -hmm. i was grateful to uh be the truth now you know where are we on the journey you are in school still um <laughs> finishing in school and then uh kind of got forced out of there i got divorced and everything kind of went downhill from there went back to some old patterns, went back to like uh, making drugs. And, you know, <laughs> if I wanted something, I just made it, you know, I didn't have to go talk to anyone. <laughs> it's like, it was like a perfect storm. So, um, but I was actually, didn't, wasn't doing anything because I was happy <laughs> for a while, like when I was in school. But then like, when I got divorced, then that like rocked my world. And then that led to yeah. this whole downward spiral sort of, and uh, things just get, got like obnoxious. So um, eventually got, eventually got caught, uh, got kicked out of school for manufacturing uh, MDMA. And it was, I don't know, it was, that was a rough one. Cause it was like my, everything I knew was over. Um, looking back on it, that's exactly what needed to happen to my ass. <laughs> like yeah. I was like going in a, a way that I'm like, this is not cool. Like, especially like the amounts and the, the like the people you're dealing with. I'm like, mm, <laughs> just not worth it. And in my mind, I was justifying. I'm like, I'm putting out something clean that I know has like been tested and like what people are going to do, whatever. I thought I was doing a service. And I didn't think there was anything morally wrong at all with what I was doing. Right. Um, I felt like I was doing a service to the people that are going to do drugs and me being one of them. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, it, well, like with that mentality at that time, when you were in that headspace, I mean, obviously yeah. now we can see how that was, is, is not the correct thing to do in this life because we understand more, we have more information. <laughs> but, but at that time, man, like when you're trying, I, I was a drug addict. I was a consumer of drugs. I always yeah. looked for the cleanest, purest drugs because I knew I was going to do them. Yeah. And I forget what the statistic is these days with the amount uh, of per capita of human beings that are using drugs uh, on an everyday basis. I mean, this is why they're becoming more and more legal. And this is why they're becoming more and more tested is because many people are doing cocaine. Many people are doing MDMA. I mean, this is becoming yeah. socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. And MDMA especially is being used for um, relief of depression, is it not? 
It's yeah, it's using all kinds of therapies, just not in the United States so much. <laughs> like we're behind oh, yeah. the, we're behind the game in in a lot of these things, like uh, psilocybin, MDMA. Like I was actually looking at hallucinogens and dissocias for treating um, for treating central nervous system disorders like schizophrenia and multiple personality disorder, and like <laughs> being able to work through some of this trauma. Like, which is ironic because that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> and the reason I I felt like doing the MDMA at the time is because like there was so much adulterated stuff out there and people were dying from stuff. Like, so that was like the threat at the time. So kind of in my mind, like, okay, this is what needs to be put out there. And I can uh, appreciate that. It was amazing. Like how, but I, I mean, I had a good, like, I had a good like run. You talk about like the double, triple lives, quadruple lives, (laughs) like pretty cleverly orchestrated. I look back, I'm like, gosh, that was pretty like, I don't yeah. know, pretty smart and but that's the reason i was able to do it for you know 10 years you know not get in trouble yeah that's that's a misconception within addicts is is that addicts are, are just dumb you know and it's like no they're actually very cunning at getting what they need to get they become master manipulators you know your problem solvers your quick thinkers if you're not you go down quick i guess there is two sides to everything right there's duality yeah. with everything but uh, a lot of the addicts that I met in my life as well, like you were quick on your feet, like, and if you yeah. weren't, you were held back. So yeah, I was the same way. It doesn't shock me that you were like that, but it is interesting to look back on it and go, wow, man, like I, I did, I did well in that, in that class. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we had a good run, you know, like even, even looking back on it, it was like, I knew the time was up. Like I was getting like, yeah. everything was just getting hard. And it was like, I was just kind of doggy paddling. I'm like, I, I couldn't keep doing it up. I was finishing like my like dissertation. And then I was also like doing this on the side. So I was like going hard every night and like wow. in a like, closed part of the school. And yeah, like, I don't know when you're working with that large of amounts too, it's like hard to, you can't do like a five hour reaction. You know, it takes 22 hours to add the, you know, one part to the other part because otherwise it overheats and blows up, you know? So like there's a oh. whole different finesse and just I don't know, stuff you have to be mindful of that you, you wouldn't get away with on a small scale. So I don't know, just lessons yeah. <laughs> in, in that regard. Um, but then looking back on that, there was no reason, there was no reason I was going to quit otherwise, but the universe had different plans. I knew it, like I was supposed to be pushed in a different direction. There was no way I was walking away from that. <laughs> like, especially being invested just in the school part of it. Like you went to school for 23 years, you're not going to change on a dime unless like something drastic happens. So that was like a shift in my life where everything shifted then. And then it was then it was like 10 years of life not working out after that it wasn't like i woke up one day and be like oh i should do this and had these little gay dreams of like becoming like a healer no it was like it was like just staying afloat for you know years and years and just i don't know a lot of suck (laughs) are you saying like after the mdma you find your bottom right and then there's there's something that happens that for the next 10 years you are trying to process or yeah not quite not quite the bottom yet i mean it was like it was like well that sucked but then it like even got lower than that because then i didn't give a shit i just stopped caring about everything okay (laughs) when you're in grad school like everything is riding on that like you don't have any friends you don't talk to anyone you're spending a hundred hours a week in in lab you know (laughs) or in school and like you kind of give up everything so you have nothing to fall back on when that's gone so okay. it was just like that fell away and then i had nothing okay <laughs> so then i was just like you know what fuck it you know i just yeah. i didn't care about anything yeah and that was pretty much like that was pretty much like this downward kind of like descent and then i was like i still had these ideas like 
oh, I can just go back to the way it was. And then so here's me trying to get like normal jobs, jobs that I would have had and like applying for like programs and like, of course, who's going to hire anyone that <laughs> with that background? But yeah. and it was it was a tough time. I'd say probably only like a half dozen out of like a couple hundred applications. They actually contacted me back. Like I didn't even acknowledge they got my application. Wow. And it was just it was just like a really like tough time to, for anyone to get a job and then add that to it and yeah good luck 10 years of pain like that 10 years of it was about five years of that um and i went back the only job i could get was a job i had in high school and <laughs> i was working at a factory making toilet paper <laughs> so that was that's wow. what i did for years and like i couldn't get it couldn't get out of there and then and then you're just I don't know, it's like 12 hour days and you're just like beat, you know, you, the last thing you want to do is go look for a job or go do anything. And you're just kind of like stuck and um, eventually got forced out of there because didn't show up enough for work. Like there was like days where I just, it'd just be like wiped and, you know, the roller coaster of, <laughs> of addiction. Uh, and I missed a few days and then they eventually like let, got let go of that job. But then that opened up everything for me. Like, even though I was like, crap, now I have nothing. But then that's what needed to happen once again <laughs> for me to move into the next phase. And still trying to do stuff the old way. Uh, when started, uh, I applied for a job teaching chemistry and biochemistry. And by that, I had all my charges expunged. So there was like no record of stuff. So I'm right. like, all right, well, I can go get a normal job teaching chemistry or whatever. And, um, once again, the universe had different plans. I got all the way to the first day of teaching and they said they weren't going to need me for the year. <laughs> like I didn't have a contract set up and they just, it was nine months of getting everything ready. And they're like, oh, yeah, we don't need you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and they like left a voice message. I'm like, that's like breaking up with someone over email. <laughs> I'm like, <"That's> <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I told a friend about this and then that um, she's like, why don't you come to where I work? She worked at a school for kids with special needs. I'm like, you know what? I, I just really want a job at this point. I don't care. You know, so I went there and like one of the best moves that I've ever made. <laughs> like uh, I thought I was going to go in there and teach them stuff. And I learned so much about myself in that time. And it like it was it was just it, it transformed my whole way of thinking and how I was and who I was as a person. And the That's amount cute. of growth that happened there was like more than my whole life kind of put together. It was like amazing how much stuff that I've learned from those kids and being in that environment. Is this where the drug addiction started to dismantle a little bit? It was, this was just more like maintenance stuff. I wasn't doing it because I hated myself. It was just like, this is the only way I know at that point. So it wasn't like um, going balls deep into stuff and just like, you know, yeah. not caring if I died or not. It was just like, okay, I have purpose. I have a job. I have like, I'm around people I like, but like, this is how I function. That's basically yeah. what it was. So it, it, it transformed. Um, and then that's where I met my current partner, Whitney, and like so many things evolved from there. And my soul just grew. And that's exactly where I needed to be. And that's when I discovered the quantum healing. That's when I had my session, my first session. That's when I had all the amazing like physical healing because I was on, I think at one point I was on like 14 medications. I was having grand mal seizures every week and <laughs> like, um, and then I did that healing session and uh, like the seizures stopped and immediately, like immediately stopped. Um, in two months I was off all 14 medications and like, I was like in the best spot of my life and I'm like, I knew I needed to do this. So that's when everything kind of transformed and they, they were like very supportive people. It was like being in a family. So yeah, um, that was pretty powerful 
and then that was the that was the time that I kind of quit. I just kind of just walked away from stuff. Um, when I met my current partner Whitney, and we kind of that's when I just quit. I'm like, <laughs> she told me I quit. Otherwise, um, she was gonna, you know, <laughs> go 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 our separate ways. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I never tried and failed. I just said okay. Well, <laughs> uh, Whitney, Matt's wife is just the, these two. Like they're soul partners, man. Like I mean, and they have a little one too. Oh, I forget her name. Lily. Lily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're just such a magical little family. I love watching their. Uh, just like his Facebook and the shorts that he does on YouTube because he, he includes the family and you can see like this just little community and you know a bit of Matt's story now. So like to hear what this guy went through and then to see what he has today is it's really beautiful. It's really cool. So she is like, uh, I'm super happy that uh, you you found her. But how long did she put up with the drug addiction? Uh, it was um, it was probably a couple months and it was just uh, kind of needed to happen, you know, especially bring a little one in. I mean, I never had yeah. to worry about anyone but myself and I, you yeah. know, I didn't care if anything happened to me, but then I was like, okay, this needs, just needs to happen. So I did it and it, uh, I just decided to quit one day and just really didn't look back. I was still like drinking and stuff at that point, but like the hard stuff that was on my whole life, I was just like, <laughs> just stopped. And I think the drinking was a huge part of it because I think that helped me to be successful. I know they say, oh, you're just swapping one thing for another. But like, I think that was pivotal because I could get far enough away from that. The only yep. way that I knew. <laughs> and yep. then by the time I got so far out, I'm like, oh, that, I mean, think about that now. Because it's, you know, that's been like a year and a half ago or a year ago <laughs> yeah. that I even touched that. So I did um, the same thing. You know, some people are going to hear that and be like, what did this guy just say? But I did the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it, you know, I did it my own personal way. Matt didn't tell me what to do. I didn't even know him at this time, but yeah, mm -hmm. I felt that was a necessary thing that I could control. Cause I never really had a problem with alcohol. It just wasn't really for me, but it was something that put me further away from the drugs. So mm -hmm. it became acceptable. And then I could drop alcohol like nothing. I mean, that was like, I'm done with that. So it became real easy, uh, for me to do. So yeah, I, I totally, I totally appreciate that. Mine, mine was a little harder than that because I live in Wisconsin and like everyone drinks. <laughs> so like <laughs> you don't drink when you like go anywhere. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's just the church picnics here are sponsored by beer companies. I mean, like it's what? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. It's just like every, like literally like this is like one of the highest drinking places in, in the United States for sure. And so it's, it's like, it's like everywhere. So like um, that was, it's becoming less and less of a thing, you know, as people, I don't know. I think people just do it less and less, you know, as they're finding out they feel better. But it was it was actually like one of the harder things for, you know, me to it was harder than just like walking. Yeah, through. I really wasn't a drinker before that. And I'm like, oh, let's pick up this. Like I was not a good alcoholic, especially when you're just like, I think I'm going to start now. <laughs> like you get so used to convincing yourself because you have to do it for most. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I was not fine. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, in, in Mexico, same thing. Like my wife's from Mexico. We were down there. We went down to meet the family and, you know, so many, so much drugs comes from Mexico, right? So you'd mm -hmm. think that this would be integrated with in society no 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 man the biggest drug in mexico is alcohol mm -hmm. it is totally a part of the culture that it's become tradition and totally acceptable to drink at any time in the day in tequila you know like this is this is the go-to right like it's just it's the go-to mind you it's much different from the tequila that we get up in america it's it, it and it really is it, it's something that is completely manageable when you're in mexico and you're you know, you're, you're trying this kind of stuff. I mean, I did, it was, it was certainly different, but, um, 
interesting to see the social acceptance of alcohol within everyday society you know just like you say like church picnics are sponsored yeah. by alcohol companies dude i can't i can't process that i'm it wasn't even that weird until it was pointed out like oh man i guess that i guess that's weird <laughs> i don't know it's it's normal when you grow up like that but i never really heard anyone say that is wisconsin a state yeah yeah i'm not really good on the whole 52 thing down there or 50, however many it is uh, I just know humans and I know you're a human yeah. that's in an area where I'm not allowed to go, which <laughs> sucks. So, but that's coming to an end. That is coming to an end. I'm very close to getting my pardon. So I'm able to come down and see you because I want to come down and see you. Hey. Uh, invisible lines, <laughs> society. Interesting how they control us. I think, I think coming out of like, out of like any substance then was the hardest part for me was learning how to do everything. Like, I didn't know how a normal person, like, cut the lawn or went yeah. to the grocery store. Like, I, like, sat on the couch for, like, a month because I'm, like, how do people function? Like, how do people answer the phone or, like, or get back to, like, an email? Like, if, unless, like, it was such a way of life that that was so hard, especially starting so young. Like, I didn't, I had to go back to that time and, like, relearn everything. It, it sucked. <laughs> like, Dude, I'm so happy you said that right now. I want to touch on that. Uh, that's another thing, you know, people ask me, like, how do you be successful? That is the key component. AA and NA can get you out of the routine for sure. But putting your life back together is the most difficult aspect. Teaching yourself to think, teaching yourself to work. And the biggest one is teaching yourself to learn again. Because if you don't know how to learn things, because it's easier to just go back to the way things were, where you don't have to be uh, a, an acceptable part of society, which just means personal growth, really, to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you just want to grow from within, you know, playing society's little game here, right here, you've got to learn these things in your life to really overcome it. And I feel like that's the biggest thing that why addicts go back is because they mm -hmm. it's it's really difficult to do those things and the support systems that are needed. Uh, surrounding those kind of things, you know, with housing or with food or with, you know, just just a space to breathe in a community. Yes, the current society does not support that as, as well as it should. So, you know, Matt and I had to do a lot of work to get to where we are. So I think that should be noted. Yeah, Good for you. I think that was probably the hardest part because like in your mind, it's like, it would be so easy to not feel this way to like get right back to like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I could do all this if I just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're hilarious. How long have you been clean? Six years in September. So five six and a years. Half years. Well five done, bro. Well change. done. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, it'd be four years in March. So wow. Interesting journey. I know. It's just, and I feel like honestly, dude, like I look back on it now. Sure, there's, you know, my mind is of a very visual mind. So I'm able, like, mm. when when a, an old memory or something like that comes in, it's a movie to me. Like I'm right there. I'm like, I can see it in my head. I, I kind of leave this present moment and I'm back there for a minute. My wife says to me all the time, like, she'll see me space out and she's like, Where are you? Like, you don't you want to know on that one, honey. That was a rough time in that 30 seconds right there. But it, it feels like so far away from me now. Like it's it's like a lifetime ago and it's only been three and a half years, but it just takes one step to get going, to get that far away from it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So talk to me about, cause this is the most magical part of the experience is the transition into the quantum healing. I mean, this, this is just so cool that you, you know, you, your journey is just so beautiful to me. I mean, I love it. It's so cool. 
Um, well, that's kind of when I discovered the work of Dolores Cannon. Um, she's an author who wrote like, I don't know, like, I think like 19 books on different things that she um, discovered by working with people in this like trance state. And she a lot of her stuff was about like past lives and stuff like that. But I was more fascinated in um, like the healing part of things. And even not at the time, I was just amazed at this woman's stories because like, Here's this like lady from like Arkansas, just in the kind of backwoods, like uh, I'd be a typical like grandma, you know, yeah. <laughs> listening to her talk. And then she said some of the most profound things and just like so matter of factly and like none of it contradicted what I knew, like from anything else. So I'm like, this lady is so fast. I could listen to her talk all day. And then I'm like, I want to have this experience. And that's when I found someone that like um, trained learning her like method that she used to use and. Uh, that's when I had like this profound healing. And then that's when I found out I was also supposed to be doing this work that I'm doing now. And I was like, I was like, that can't be right. There's no way that I'm going to be doing this. Like I can't sit and listen to someone for 15 minutes, let alone like sit and listen for hours and have both their problems. <laughs> like that is so not me. And then I have this idea of who I was in my head. Well, I was this, I'm the scientist and I have this and you know, like all this, like, I don't know who you think you are. And like, yeah. I had to let go of that in order to do this. And I'm like, there is no freaking way that that's right. <laughs> but that's what came through. And I just, I just kind of followed it. I'm like, everything else was so profound that I'm like, I know on some level I need to be doing this. You dismantled the belief systems though. I mean, I love how uh, you just said that. Oh my gosh. It's like, you're no longer Matt. You're no longer a scientist. You're no longer this, you know, drug manufacturer that, lost everything no you're just i am in this moment and who am i i'm going to discover who that is you like letting go and surrendering is everything in the becoming because like who are you if all that's gone exactly. <laughs> like oh my gosh that's scary it's so scary <laughs> like, it is but you know uh, one of the most beautiful things and how i want to translate this is when you remove all those limited beliefs and those belief systems and those labels and the agendas and the learned behaviors you're a blank canvas you're a blank canvas with consciousness in the present moment that gets to paint a masterpiece. And that is, man, that's everything. Like you get to shape who you are by making mistakes to make the masterpiece better. Like that, when you connect with yourself, you're going to learn about who you are. So then you're going to know what you want to do. And people are going to give you money for it because you love it. And you're never going to work a day in your life. You know, Matt's super free. I mean, I'm yeah. super free, both of us. We, we had these crazy journeys and here we are, society dictates that we need to have an obligation of money. Sure, finance, things like this. Okay, cool. We both do that on our own terms. Like Matt travels when he wants to travel. I travel when I want to travel. We see parts of the world we want to see. We're very free because we learned about who we are. We got rid of all of the belief systems and the learned behaviors that hold us back or teach us that we're this thing that we're not because somebody else said we are. I think that's important. Cool, man. I, I would like to say that, but I think I'm getting freer each day because, like, I, I think it's a process. So people look at me and they're like, "Oh, you have it all figured out. This must be so easy." And I was like, "No, I still go through this shit. Like, I still have new stuff come up of parts of my identity that I'm hanging on to, or things that are keeping me stuck, or limiting beliefs I have about stuff. It's like I'm freer than I was, but I think it's a journey. It's not." So like, yeah. oh, I'm all good. Even myself, I make mistakes all the time still. Yeah. But we're at a point that we've pulled off enough layers mm -hmm. that we're able to be in this kind of space. You know, even when you're making mistakes, you're able to pull up the mistake right away or the emotion, you know, you do something that, that doesn't compute with who you are. It's okay. You're okay with it. Everything's okay. 
So it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's all education. So you're able to navigate through the journey ahead without, you know, creating new traumas and, and, uh, holding yourself back. You just use it all to push you forward. So thank you for making that very clear. That's the gift I get to give to people. And like, how freaking cool is that? I go on vacation and I'm excited to get back to work. Like, I don't know many people that can say that, like that it's just so cool because it just keeps giving. And then there's this ripple effect. Like every person you impact goes and impacts people. Even the people watching this, you know, yeah. you're going to be shifted and you're going to benefit the people in your life. And it just keeps going. Yeah, that's everything. That's why I do this is just to, you know, help evolve human beings to become something more. If the ones that want it are willing and to bring in education and bring in people that are authentic and teach them about things that institutions and, and academic education systems aren't teaching. And there's real value in this kind of stuff because you seek it on your own and you do the work to obtain the answers. So it becomes a part of you. Um, talk a little bit about what quantum healing is doing in your work. Like how are you facilitating the healing process? Just so people have an idea of what they're coming to you for. Sure. So, um, I usually have people prepare a list of stuff that they want to address. It could be physical issues, mental things, could be um, relationship questions, questions about money, career, um, literally anything. <laughs> uh, and basically no questions off limits. And then the day of our meeting, we talk for a little while. It gives me background so I can ask questions on your behalf. And then the second part of it is where you're in a relaxed state. I'm guiding you through a process of like deep relaxation and just asking you questions and you're able to come up with the answers. You're able to connect the dots. And then from that space, you can actually shift the stuff that we we're talking about, shift the stuff that's holding you back and actually get to the root of where stuff is coming from. So we talked about like the root of my addiction or the root of Justin's addiction. You can get to where that root is, change it from that level. And then there's not that pull. So actually kind of healing from the inside out rather than just going through a bunch of stuff on the surface. And that's where stuff is so effective because it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys have the game Jenga. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's kind of like pulling out that bottom piece in Jenga and the rest of the stuff just falls away. And the, the, the other things don't become things because you've addressed the root of where that thing is happening. Dude, did you just say, I don't know if you guys have Jenga? I don't like, know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. I will speak to my experience with Matt because it's such a life. personalized thing that they're all so different. But yeah, I'd love to hear your when you go to a quantum healing session, you go in with no expectations. And and Matt is very clear within his instructions or his dialogue that he sends you pre quantum healing session day. And it just puts you in a relaxed state right in the beginning because, you know, there is no expectations. You just go in with an open heart and an open mind. That's the best advice I can give you. What Matt talks about when he's talking about a trance is a conscious state. So basically, his voice guides your consciousness into a state of being that removes you from the mind and puts you into the heart. That's the best way I'm going to put it Ooh, because the heart speaks the truth. And what you're navigating is the truth. And it's difficult to do when we do it from the mind because we're so hell-bent on distracting from the truth because we haven't been given the tools or the teachers or the guides to talk about how we feel, which is why we're navigating into areas where we have stored trauma. Stored trauma is just unprocessed energy, but unprocessed energy or energy that hasn't been transmuted will cause stress, fear, anxiety, and it will break the body down 
and implement diseases, sicknesses, and they will hold you back and you will leave this planet much quicker than if you process them. So this is an avenue to process emotions and traumas from within on your own because you know what you need and you know what you have inside of you. But like Matt said in the beginning, with his trauma, it began in the womb. So for many people, they may feel like they don't have this spiritual awakening or this this connection to unconditional love like they want. It's a tool to heal that's been around mm-hmm. for quite some time and people are obtaining results from it. So that's the beautiful <laughs> aspect of it. With me on my journey, uh, it was just me in my room. Now we did this remotely with a microphone. Matt will set you all up. You'll, you'll see and learn what you need, but it's very simple. You just need a room, a computer, and a microphone. That's it. And he began my guided meditation, we'll call it. Uh, I think that's the best way to talk about it. It's a guided yeah. meditation. And Matt is, does, a, does a very good job of uh, putting putting you in a state where you navigate along your journey. I will say that for me, mine was highly visual. I was able to see the first thing I saw was a baby. Uh, the very first thing I saw, it, it came into fruition. Uh, it was it, it actually, actually, no, it began with light. The first thing we see mm-hmm. is light. And then through the light, I was able to see the baby. And when I went to see the baby, I looked at the baby and Matt's guiding you along and he's giving you questions, bringing you an awareness to the situations that are happening, but he allows you to discover the truths. I looked at the baby and the baby was me. And I'm like, Matt, the baby's me. He's like, well, and I'm like, I think the baby needs love. And he's like, you took the words out of my mouth or I forget what you said, like (laughs) something like that. And it's funny that you're, you're like, you know, it's like talking to your friend, but like you're in this space and you'd think like quantum healing would be so serious. You know, we are doing quantum healings or, or some therapeutic thing that we're going to do with academically very nicely. It's like, no, no, no. It's like your body is, is taking you on a journey and it's, and it's cool because it, it puts you at more of an ease. Right. And the child of me needed love. And I just, you know, I embraced this child and there was a bond, a connection made with this child and the child went away. And then Matt guided me to other areas of my life to a point where I had seen a, a samurai, uh, a warrior. And I, I thought immediately when I saw the samurai, I thought it was my father. So I kind of like went over and I was like trying to give this guy a hug as my dad. And I look up at him and it's me. And I was like, what? Like, so I'm meeting a version of myself. And it was a, a beautiful experience. It was a very beautiful moment, very personal uh, for me in that moment, because it was so real and it was something that has been a part of me, like this Japanese culture, just this knowing, this understanding inside of me, but it gave validity to the things that I feel about Japanese culture and just, just another time. And it it, it became valid for me. So that was a lot of just, um, just beautiful synchronicities for me. And and that stayed with me throughout my journey. Like that, like how that warrior, (laughs) it looks different in this lifetime, but that same energy comes into this lifetime. And it's like, (laughs) Oh dude, that's really cool. Yeah. I love that you said that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really great. And, and, you know, I just did a sound healing journey, uh, a crystal sound healing journey. This is the podcast just previously with Ada Andromeda Mm -hmm. and dude, same thing. She does the same thing as you, but she does it with uh, um, song. Yeah. And I met a past life in that life. I'll send you the link to the podcast. Yeah. I'm editing it right now, but beautiful, Matt. It was so oh, amazing. Uh, after I integrated with my my samurai warrior past life, 
there was something that happened to me in, along my drug addiction uh, with a woman in a house that was very, very strange. The entire experience was very strange. And I knew something always was altered inside of me from that moment. But I just navigated life and I, you know, I got out of my drug addiction and I became who I was until I was brought back with Matt. I went back to that moment. Hmm. He had said that there was a house and in that house, he was, he's now, you know, he's guiding you and there was a house and I, I saw the house and I knew the house right away. And then I saw the girl and the girl was sad and she was crying. Hmm. And I said, I know this girl to Matt and I said, but she needs love. And this girl hmm. did something to me in that house. Oh, I don't, it, it, it altered me. She did something inside of me. It was and I knew it stayed with me. So I went over and I knew I had to give her love because I'm just love these days. I'm just, and you know, that's what the healing is all about with Matt is he guides you to just love through everything. So I go to this woman to give her a, to give her some love and she, she embraces me. She takes it in and all of a sudden we separate and there's a cord, a light, a lit cord between the two of us and the samurai, my version of myself kind of like loops this sword to me it was really really cool like the katana i grabbed the katana and i just like instinctively cut the cord from that day i got goosebumps telling me this right now from that day i have been i've, I've been alleviated from something that was with me for quite mm. some time so it was so profound what i did with matt that it, it helped me elevate and take a layer off of me of something that subconsciously I knew happened, but I forgot about. And I knew she did something to me, but it was just energetically, right? Like she didn't yeah. physically hurt me or anything like that. But uh, she, this is the ability humans have that we're able to do. And if we don't have methods like Matt has to teach us and to guide us, these things stay with us to the end. And, and that attachment to this energy, this woman with this energy, that could have broke me down over time without me ever understanding how to get there to find it. And the journey went on for, I believe we were in the session for two and a half hours and it was just so poetic and it's truth and the, the ability to take off layers and integrate with soul. It's like, you know, you hear this stuff in spiritual communities, but let me tell you something about spiritual communities, man. Like, there's a lot of talk, you know what I'm saying? And it's not just talk, like there's some pedestal shit going on in those, those, oh, uh, yeah. communities, you don't get away right? from that. Yeah. Like people, you know, and that's cool. Like that's life. Ego's a thing. Like if you don't check it, then sure. You're gonna, you're gonna fall victim to it or victim to it. Cause you choose it. You choose to embellish mm -hmm. it and you choose to take the knowledge that's been given to you and kind of make other people work for it. And I don't think, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. I feel like if you've been given information, we share it. And we do that from a very equal standpoint. And that was uh, something that I was able to, to do with you in this community because it was just, you know, it was just real. Everything was authentic. Mm -hmm. And I love that. So it was, it was really beautiful to be a part of that. So I would encourage anyone who's on this journey to navigate to matchment. Where, where can people find you, bro? Probably my website is uh, www.matchmitqh.com. And then um, on YouTube, I'm at matchmitqh. So cool. I will put all of his social medias in the description below. Uh, you can message me if you need any more awareness surrounding what Matt does, because it's nothing to be afraid of if you're looking to grow and you're looking to try something that is very accessible. Therapy is often overpriced and overbooked. It's difficult to get in. Yeah. So people use that as an excuse as to why they can't 
go into their past to try and alleviate themselves from emotions that they've been holding. Personally, so. for me too, I felt like I was in therapy for a long time and I, I got to a point, I'm like, I know all the right answers. I don't feel any better. <laughs> like, uh, I was like, I know what you want me to say. I know what I'm supposed to say. Like, I don't feel that way. So like, okay. um, by doing this, I felt like it was like 10 years of therapy in one day. Like, <laughs> didn't even know that was an option. So it's, it's action. It's, it's mm -hmm. absolute action. And that's the thing that has propelled both of us in our lives. That's why we are in the position that we are in, but we don't have it all figured out. Like Matt said before, we are just students of life and we've come to learn and we're okay with that. And we're constantly learning. And sometimes we take two steps back to take 10 steps forward. You know, it's just the way life moves. So action, action, action. So having a, a line of communication, you know, and opening up avenues for people to heal is what I'm all about. And, and the people that I surround myself with, are individuals who are are aligned with the same philosophies. So people feel like their their community isn't offering them these kind of avenues. It's like just seek more, you know. And and if this stuff hits for you, please share it. You know, if you watch Matt's YouTube or if you get in touch with Matt and it works for you, please share that education. Just like he said, that's what we're doing here is we're trying to raise the awareness and the love within the collective consciousness. Uh, dude, I really appreciate you and your time today, man. It's really beautiful. I love you, Dustin. I love you too, bro. Like straight up, Matt and I never met. Dude, I, I really, man, you're a soul brother to me. I love your family. Like you're just, you're just such a great guy and with, within your journey and with what you're doing and the way you communicate about it. Uh, beautiful thing about this is we'll have you back on and we'll, we'll just have more cool conversations. We'll bring more awareness to what we're doing. You know, like we're just going to keep this conversation happening so more and more people get comfortable with what we're talking about. And I want them to get to know you. I want them to get to know you more because the more you get to know this guy, the more you're going to like him. And just because he is, just because he is who he says he is. And I mean, shit, who doesn't want friends like that? You know, it's not surface level. It's like the, the man straight up. And I appreciate you for sharing what you've shared today because Matt did tell me that this stuff hasn't come out really anywhere else. So bro, like much love, really appreciate you. And uh, I hope you were comfortable with everything today. Yeah, it was perfect. It was time. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> Much love to the family, bro. Uh, eh? All right. Thanks, Justin.